Surrounded by cancer patients, a nurse takes center stage with her Second City Improv Troupe on the oncology ward at the Northwestern Memorial Hospital. As usual, she's making everybody laugh. But a serious question from a man named Rudy stops this American icon in her tracks. He looks Bonnie Hunt in the eyes and says, When are you going to fulfill this dream full time? I'm at the end of my life, and one of my biggest regrets is that I've feared failure. Promise me that you will go to California and you will fail many times, but just give it a try. And that's exactly what Bonnie Hunt did. No joke. I knew I couldn't go back. Is your you just put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to just live. Even Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I could not. That was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Cogan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. So yeah, I auditioned for that little part of the waitress who dropped the toothpicks, and I didn't know who was in the movie or anything, and I got that part. And can you imagine the only other people in the scene are Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise? And I've never been on camera. Comedian and actress Bonnie Hunt is best known for her memorable supporting roles in big-budget movies and is the star of her own multiple sitcoms for almost 30 years. Cheaper by the Dozen, Jerry Maguire, The Bonnie Hunt TV Show, and Life with Bonnie are just a few of the films and series that have made this Chicago native a household name and famous for being the first female to write, produce, and star in her own series, The Building which happened to be co-produced by David Letterman. Most recently, Bonnie has taken on the role as a no-nonsense inspector in the true story of the 2015 Clinton Correctional Facility escape in upstate New York, an escape which prompted a massive manhunt for the two convicted murderers who were helped by a married female employee. It's gritty, it's powerful, and addictive. I was excited to catch up with Bonnie, who had escaped herself from the cold of Chicago, to talk about this riveting Showtime series and also learn more about this compassionate and heartful actor, director, and all-round amazing human being. I but also that's... lovely Bonnie Hunt. We are in yes. Santa Monica in California, mm-hmm. and we're slating. Very exciting. I think uh, the last time we were together, so to speak, um, was in Chicago, and you brought pretty much your entire family to the screening of La Ride. We did, because we're all fans of yours. And that movie was beautiful. It is beautiful. Bonnie, thank you for bringing your entire family. I think there, by by my count, there must have been something like 17 of your family there. Brothers, sisters. Nieces and nephews. Nieces and nephews. You come from a big family. Yes, and it's it's nice. I mean, every but it's great because I have my own demographic, which is helps has helped my career. Every time you you're doing something, you know you've got an audience. Yeah, the ratings go up because the your, family's tuning in. And your mom, I I just love your mom. Well, mom adores you. I yeah. was lucky enough to meet your mom when I was riding across America, mm-hmm. and and uh, I was raising money for MS, as you know, and we stopped off in Chicago riding my bicycle across America. And I get to this- Just riding your bicycle across America, you throw that away. Like I couldn't ride it across the street and I'd be exhausted. So I meet your mom in Chicago and she just runs up to me. I've never seen her before. She just runs up to me and she goes, I'm Bonnie's mom. You know, we're in Chicago. And and there was just an instant connection with her. Mm -hmm. And I had been doing this silly llama dance all across the country. And I guess she must've seen it. 
So she wanted to do the llama dance with me. Oh my gosh. And so, so then we shot this little piece with her and what, what an incredible woman. She is incredible. I'm yeah. in awe of my mom. Yeah. I mean, she raised the seven of us kids to just be decent, kind people. And that's a big accomplishment in the middle of a big city. And you know, my father died young. Yeah, um, you were only 18. I was 18, yeah. yes. And, but you know, he instilled enough values in us to, to stick together and stand by my mom and, and do what's right as, as best as we could. And, but mom definitely was steering the ship. And so I have great respect. Do you talk pretty much all the time? Oh, several times a day. Several times yes, a day. Yes, yes. So what are the, how do the phone calls go? How They're they... constant. Mom yeah. always calls me. And I call, I call mom a lot as well I mean, yeah. when I need comfort or guidance. And I, I know how precious it is to be able to say I can still call my mom. Yeah. Um, I have friends that have lost their parents, both parents, and I know what it was like to lose my father. I know how life changes in an instant. Yeah. And we were talking about this before the interview. You were talking about having interviewed your grandmother Yeah. a couple of weeks before she died, just to have that yeah. cherished memory of her voice and her point of view and her stories. Um, so I feel pretty blessed to be able to still call my mom, but she's hilarious. You know, she's on social media. She's very um, in the moment. My mom's smart. She's just smart. And I think, boy, she gave her whole life to us. She gave yeah. it all to us. Yeah. It's remarkable. Yeah, you know, there's something wonderful about a parent that is so invested in their kids. And mm -hmm. then you're so right about being able to pick up the phone and call them and not taking it for granted. And right. my dad is now, uh, he's gonna be 76 this year. He called me and he said, Phil, I'd really love to go for a hike with you. Um, and I, I said to the to my wife, I said, I've got to go, you know, it, it, because first of all, it's going to be a four day long hike out in the wilderness. And, and you and your dad crack me up. We just, we, you know, and when your dad at 76 calls you to take on an adventure, uh, yeah. you take the opportunity, I think. Yeah. I mean, none of us are here forever. So no. it's like capture something that you can that if you want to cherish or have a memory or just close your eyes and remember. It's so nice to be sitting with you again. We, we, uh, We've had some fun times on your show, the Bonnie Hunt show from 2008 to 2010, I think. Phil, when you were on that show, you just energized. We well, we loved doing our show and we loved having certain people on. You were our, one of our absolute top favorites to have on and you would come at the last minute. There'd be no preparation. You were hilarious, spontaneous, smart. Um, well, that's because of you though. I mean, um, when we were on together, and then it was Don, wasn't it? Your yes, producer, Don. Like, mm -hmm. um, there was just a, a great energy, right? And I loved how you always fed off the audience. You know, it was the best. And our Facebook page would crash when you were on the show. Well, There's just so many people responding or giving positive. They felt good. I mean, that's what it's all about. Like, I want to watch something that makes me feel good, or that I want to crawl into the screen and be with those people and hang out with those people. And I think when we were on together, that was really there. It was so fun. Bonnie, it's time you came back. It, you you haven't been on since 2010 on right. a talk show. I think you need to come back. Well, we'll see. I'm considering it. Are there opportunities? There is, yes. There's a new one right before me, and I'm just trying to decide whether or not I want to jump into that again. And it's a different world now, Can I too. say yes? You can say yeah, yes. Yeah, on your behalf. Who do okay. I call? I you want to be phone. my co-host? Yeah, come I, on. I'll be so much fun. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Really, I, you've got to come back because people just fell in love with you. And I think what it is about you is that your authenticity. People really feel like... They know you, 
but that they get you. You represent someone in their life because of that authenticity. I felt so connected with my audience and I still do. I mean, when I'm in the grocery store, people don't ask me for an autograph. They come over and they say, can I give you a hug? Yeah. And it's just such a different, it's really nice. I just love that connection. We had great fans, great fans during that show. And they're still there. It's really nice. You know what it is to Bonnie about your talent, which is so unique is you have the ability to be yourself, to be real, to really connect with the every person because you've been that every person, your, your family comes from humble beginnings. Mm -hmm. um, but then you also have this ability to be an actress. And there's not a lot of people that are good at both. You, you know, I've met so many good people on air who, who are on air talent and they just can't transfer that talent on screen and vice versa. You know, being right. an actor, they can't, they're just not interesting in real life. But you have this ability right now, this series that you're on on Showtime, which I'd love you to talk about. You are so believable. I'm like, oh my God, is, 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 has Bonnie changed occupations? Is she working? <laughs> you know, working in, I mean, you are so good. Thank you so for believable. everything you just said. It makes me feel so good. I, sometimes you just need to hear something like that from someone that you respect. And I think a lot of that too comes from having been a nurse before I was an actor and just valuing people's stories. And that's why I wanted to do a talk show because mm. I value what somebody has to say to me. And your curiosity mm -hmm. and genuine curiosity, mm -hmm. taking an interest in people. So tell us about this. The prison drama? Yeah, the prison drama, it's on Showtime. Right, so and you can stream it now, you can binge it. It's uh, Escape at Danamora. It's a true story about a prison break in 2015 in upstate New York. And what's so compelling about it is the human nature that's involved in it, that these people are in a prison. That town, I think the population is 7,000. 4,000 are prisoners. Wow. So it's a really interesting experience to be in that town, be filming at the actual prison, um, and just see that these people are four or five generations deep having worked at this prison. It was built in the 1800s. What, what is that like to, to go to the place of the crime and to then act out what happened? Freezing was, cold too, right? It you was freezing cold. I mean, they call it Little Siberia, and it's the truth. It is freezing there. And in the prison, it's even colder. If there's any way to describe that, it can be cold in temperature, but emotionally it's so cold. It's very devastating to think that there's just people in there for the rest of their lives. Um, and of course, rightly so for so many that have done such horrible things. But these two guys having the wherewithal, the brilliance to get themselves out of this prison where there hadn't been a break in a hundred years is pretty compelling considering that they could have used that mindset and that intelligence towards something wonderful in their lives. To something more constructive. So mm -hmm. this is 2015. How many people have broken out of a, a, a prison like that in America? I mean, it's not, almost Not maximum security place like that, no. The opening scene when you're driving in mm -hmm. and you're in the, in the vehicle and you're staring, there's so much going on with you looking out. Looking at that prison. Looking out, was that, uh, uh, had you seen it before you shot that scene or? Yes, I. Because it looked like you were just reacting to it well, for the I first Well, I spoke time. to the, Catherine Leahy Scott, the Inspector General of the State of New York, who I played is, is uh, when I spoke to her, she said she had never been to that prison and just pulling up there and thinking, in her mind, she was thinking, how the heck did somebody get out of this place? It's remarkable. And it's such a compelling story that this woman who was so sad and lonely in her own life gets involved with this prisoner. This, these two clever inmates mm -hmm. managed to con one of the officers inside the prison. Yes, a woman that worked in the tailor shop because they had a functioning, full functioning tailor shop that made clothes in the prison. And two of the prisoners that were 
murderers, I mean, really evil, dangerous men, um, seduced her and conned her into bringing, smuggling things into the prison and helping them plan an escape. It's something, how it altered her life. Wow. And, mm -hmm. and what was it about the, the project that really appealed to you? Because some people would say, oh, you know, Bonnie Hunt playing that role, um, it's not a comedy role, but you've said about, I think the key to, to you playing that role, and I think the reason it works so well is just, again, because of your authenticity. You, it's so real, but you've also said that there's, there's comedy in every, in every role, right? You bring, you, bring that, you bring humor and you bring that, that realness to any role. Well, I think of it as dimensional. You know, the life is dimensional. Even in our saddest moments, we might have moments where we smile or have humor. And um, whenever I approach acting any role, I never think of it as comedy or drama. Like you said, I think of the sincerity, the authenticity. Is this, does this feel real? Can the audience relate? And this character, because it was a true story, and I met with the woman who I was going to get to play, Ben Stiller called me at home and said, I'm going to do this project. And I said, oh, I remember when that happened because it was all over the news. What's it like to get a phone call from Ben Stiller and he says, hey, Bonnie, I want you to play this role? Well, the first thing I said is Ben who? Ben who? Yeah. I like to keep them in their place. <laughs> yeah. You know? just, uh, yeah. Uh, don't get ahead of yourself. Ben and who? And then he said Stiller and I said, remind me. Yeah, do do um, you have a famous father? Oh, uh, his papa. What's yeah. his name again? <laughs> just the best. No, I've known Ben for many years. And so it's a trust thing, you know. Yeah. He's, he said, I would love you to do this. And I said, oh, I remember the story. Um, we talked about the character. I went and met with the woman that I was playing. And yeah, I was, I was in. Because I liked the fact that it was a true story and that there was consequence for the evil. I mean, I think that's important. Yes. That I don't, I really don't care for gratuitous violence or sex without a consequence. You describe your character on Showtime. You say, a true public servant who is calculated and unrelenting. If, if I'd read the character description, I would say, that's not Bonnie, but you just make it work so well. Like that opening scene with you when you walk in and you're talking to Patricia, Patricia Arquette's character. Mm -hmm. And you are, you're just like on her, like just hitting her. She uh, really wants to, do, you know, uncover fraud. I mean, yeah. she's determined. I love that. I love her. She's a great lady. I just love how she was just like cutting to the chase. Like, you know, we could sit here and waste time if you want, but, you know, you might as well just tell me everything because mm -hmm. I'm going to find out. It's great. You know, Ben's has that same background of comedy and drama. And so he just kind of gets it. And, you know, Showtime gave him free reign, which was wonderful for a creative person to be able to just tell the story. Yeah. And he did the same with us. Just like, go do what you do. It's such a twisted, crazy story. I'm mm -hmm. only just, you know, just starting into it. I remember reading about it um, just in terms of teasing it. What are some of the highlights from this, this things that, that like some of the highlights that we want to see from the series, like things that you I want think to it's these people that have been working in the prison prison that become compliant with, you know, it's only human nature that they're there and they're getting to know these prisoners as people, not as the villains or the evil side of them. And they befriend them and they get fooled and they're kind of slowly immersed in the situation where they're aiding and abetting these horrible criminals to plan their own freedom of a place that nobody has escaped from in a hundred years. I, I mean, love, it's... Uh, yeah, it's crazy. And I they mean, believe it. They believe really they're going to get out. For uh, Ben to get access to the prison, to actually film in the prison, is amazing. Yeah. Because they said no, no, no for a long time. And I think, I don't know if it was Mario Cuomo um, got involved and said, you know, let's get them in there. Somebody that's, got it approved. That's what I heard. I heard that mm -hmm. he, was the, he was the one that helped with the sign-off. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you, you were talking about where we were talking before about your empathy and your connection with family. And I, I'm really uh, interested in talking about how you got into becoming an oncology nurse so early on in your life, like where that came from. Because I know you told some funny stories about how your mom would take you to these sort of uh, charitable events or these events which you'd say, Bonnie, we're going to give back. Right. My mom would, was always having us give back, give back. And I think it was a way, too, to keep us in line. We grew up in the city. There was a, we, you know, my mom had a lot of children, and it was just something to do and organize us. And But it was a valuable lesson because I remember starting to go and not wanting to go. And then I started to feel good, like important, that somebody wanted to see me, and I made them happy, and they were excited for us to come as I started to get seven, eight, nine years old. Well, I was that young that you were doing this. Right, seven yeah. years old. I remember and this is my your first whole memory. family, your brothers and sisters. Yes, we would all do things like this. My mom would just, you know, it wasn't every day. We weren't, you know, right holier than thou or anything. It was when she could convince us all to get. Well, in the I never car. thought of you as holier than thou. Well, but I mean, maybe a little holy, but not holier than thou. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, we're just normal kids. Yeah, but I know. you know, and we didn't want to go. But then you start to get this feeling of that it's something good to do, and. It becomes part of something that you need. You know, people say to me now, because I volunteer now as a patient advocate, I've never fully left my nursing life um, because it's it's a selfish reason. It keeps things in perspective. It makes me feel good about myself. And people give me a lot of love. I'm divorced. I don't have any kids. And my patients fill my life. And mm. so, but, but I think that definitely comes from those experiences when I was a kid. So- Growing up as a teenager, then what what steered you towards becoming a nurse? What was that? Well, I volunteered as a candy striper, um, which is in, striper? in um, I don't know if they still have them, but we used to wear like a little uh, red and white striped nursing uniform, oh. but it was red and white striped. And you were 100% volunteer, but you would make the beds or oh, okay. read to the patients or help feed the patients, um, but you didn't get paid. And I started doing it and I started to feel really good about myself as I was a teenager and you worked in the summers. And then I got, I started having so many volunteer hours. I was in the local newspaper for having so many hours volunteer. You're an overachiever, let's be honest. <laughs> no, it's because I loved being loved. Yeah. Patients loved you. Yeah. So it, that's a big part of it. And then I wanted, I knew I wanted to be a storyteller. I yeah. would see my parents when I was a kid. There was a lot of pressure, a lot of financial pressure, pressure, a lot of anxiety. Well, with seven kids. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, my dad didn't go to college. He was a self-made, uh, a self-taught electrician, but he was a handyman too. He did all kinds of jobs to make men's ends meet. But when they would watch something on TV or a movie or something, I would see all their problems, all their worries, everything go away just for that second. You'd see how powerful that storytelling mm -hmm. was. And my dad... Being an Irish guy, he would go out on the front porch and have a beer and smoke. And all of a sudden, in the summer, everybody would be gathering on the front porch and he'd be telling some story. Oh, so he was a big storyteller? Yes. And yes. you remember that? Yes. Because you lost the money when you, you were he only was 18. 18. But I mean, n enough years to just see the power of storytelling yeah. and how it just freed people or they could relate to you. or And it was free. Yeah. It was just, you're telling a story. It's free at your dad's place. Out the, yes. Out the and he was king of the castle. Yeah. But when I told my dad that's what I wanted to do when I was in high school, I said, you know, I, I want to I want to write movies and I want to tell stories and write plays. And my dad's like, well, you can't write unless you live. What are you going to write about? You, you got to live. And he goes, you should just stick with your medicine. You've got all, you know, you've been volunteering at the hospital. And I said, oh, I don't want to do that. And, 
but I did. And so now I apply for a nursing school and I yeah. get in and um, the first thing they send you is your nursing school cap, which has a stripe on it. So they know that you're, this is when the nurses still wore nursing caps. It was right towards the end of that time. And my dad was so proud. Like he'd be out watering the lawn and his friends would be over talking and my dad would say, go in the house and put your nursing cap on and come on out. Are you serious? And I say, oh God, dad, no, please. Are you serious? He's so proud. He's like, look, that's going to be my nurse. And there's seven of us. I was going to be the nurse. So I get into nursing school. And at that time they were doing practical application in the morning and theory in the afternoon, meaning you got one patient for the week in the morning or for a month and you would be in the hospital in the morning and then in the afternoon you were in the classroom. So I get into nursing school and my dad dies of a heart attack. I'm he, just- he's only in his 50s or so. Right. And I, I'm i mad at the world. I don't even want to see anybody laugh. And anybody who's been through great loss in that moment, you know that pain yeah. and anger and why. And uh, you know, it was so sudden he died of a heart attack in, in our home. And um, I said to my mom, I can't, I can't go back to school because dad won't be here to see me graduate. Oh. And there's, I was only going for him. I can't go back. I can't. And, and I didn't want to even help anybody else. I was so sad and angry. And my mom said, okay, you know, I understand. She said, and here's my mom. She just lost she's her dealing, husband. Right. She has all this pain, but yet she's, she's comforting seven you. children. And she's saying to me, go back one more week in honor of dad and then you can quit. And I know my mom's probably thinking in her head, once she gets back on the horse, she'll be okay. Yeah. But I go back to school on Monday after the funeral and everything is over. My dad's only been gone for four or five days. And the nursing instructor takes me in the hallway and she says, all right, Hunt, I just want you to know you're not the only person whose father ever died. And I'm like, oh my God, this cold ice princess of a instructor. And she said, you cannot put this on any of your patients. You are here to take care of them. So you can't go into a room and tell anybody your problems. And I said, oh, okay. And I thought, little does she know I'm out of here on Friday. I cannot wait to walk up to her and say, I quit because I'm so sad and angry. And I get assigned one patient out of 500 in this hospital. His name is Mr. O'Brien. And um, I go in and I say, hi, Mr. O'Brien, I'm going to be your student nurse for you know the next couple weeks. And I'm thinking I'm going to be out of here on Friday. And I'm talking to him and he's just this sweet Irishman and he's got this beautiful family. So oh, my bride's coming today. And I said, oh, your bride, did you just get married? He said, no, I've been married 40 years. Uh -huh. And I thought, oh, wow, he calls, him, calls her his bride. And he says, you know, I guess you know I'm doomed. And I said, what do you mean, Mr. O'Brien? He said, well, you probably know that I have cancer. And I said, oh, well, I believe in miracles. And I'm thinking in my head, oh, that's sad that he has, you know, cancer. And, and he says, but I'm lucky, you know. And I said, well, why would you say that? He said, because I'm Irish and there's a lot we don't say sometimes to our families. Mm. And this diagnosis, I've been able to tell my kids I love them. Mm. I've been able to tell my sons. And I'm standing there thinking, oh, my dad didn't get to tell us like so much stuff. And I'm so sad. And I'm just listening to him tell me this. And mm. um, he's just a sweet man. And I remember putting a cold compress on his eyes that day and just looking at him and thinking, I'm not going to be able to take care of my dad and you know, just all those feelings mm, you have. Everything came up. So by the third day, I'm so in love with Mr. O'Brien. He's calling me his Bonnie Lass, and he's always holding my hand, and we're laughing together. And the first couple of days I'm with him, he's telling me about how lucky he is that he can tell his children goodbye, because he had a friend who died very suddenly. And this man would always say his kids were his greatest accomplishment, and he how much he revered this man and loved this man. And I'm just thinking, I just want to tell Mr. O'Brien about my father, but I can't, and I only have a few more days left of school. Third day, Wednesday, I open his chart and I'm reading where he worked. And it says the Board of Education. My dad was an electrician there. 
So I close the door and I say, Mr. O'Brien, I'm not supposed to say anything, but I wonder if you knew my father. And he said, well, how would I know your father? I said, well, he worked at the Board of Education. Um, he said, what's his name? And I said, Bob Hunt. Mm. And at this time he has a compress still on his eyes and he reached out and he grabbed my arm and he said, that's the man I've been speaking about. No. Yes. So I couldn't leave school no. because I couldn't leave Mr. O'Brien. Wow. But my theory is my dad got to heaven and said, is there anyone that can stop her? She <laughs> can't go to Hollywood. Mr. O'Brien. She needs a foundation. Yeah. My, my dad knew I needed that foundation. That's what I look back and I see that fork in the road that it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I stayed in school to stay with Mr. O'Brien specifically. Um, and I really believe that that was the right thing for me. If I had come to Hollywood at, at that young age, maybe it wouldn't have been so good for me. And I did get to live a great life and become a nurse and hear so many patient stories. And being a nurse yeah. changes who you are. Yeah. Uh, for me, it did. And it gave me just a foundation better, as my dad thought, as a storyteller, so much more to, to express. And as an actor, so much more to access in my heart. Yeah, I mean, you see it in all your characters, no matter what role you're playing. And you've often spoken about this, no matter how big or small the role is, that you can bring it, right? Yes, like, yes, um, you can like, connect with people. That you really can connect. And so no matter how small the opportunity is, don't look at the size of the role, but bring everything you possibly can. Right, because you're a part of a big story. I always chose story over role. Yeah, and that's been your whole compelling. career, right? Yes, yes. And, and also your conviction for how you tell stories. Um, Rudy is another patient. Right. right? That was who, another patient, that who, another a angel. Patient. Now, so somebody you talk about often and obviously someone who really touched you. Um, and for him, he saw, not only did he see that you had these special qualities, but you were sharing some of your acting skills with him at this time. I, I'm just interested in how that worked. Like, well, I was, I still wanted to be a part of showbiz yes. because I love storytelling. That yeah. was my whole thing is just stories. And I grew up going to Second City. Mm -hmm. as an audience member and a fan. Um, and everybody from Second City was on Saturday Night Live, you know, when I was a kid, Bill Murray in the 70s, when I was in, uh, and then when I got into college, everybody was on Saturday Night Live and I was so in awe of them. So I would hang around at Second City at night. Eventually, I auditioned and got a job there. So I was working as a nurse during the day in the oncology ward and then doing these comedy shows at night, eight shows a week. Um, and I loved it, but I would bring the whole cast to the hospital sometimes and we would do the show for the patients there. Because I was on that floor where at that time cancer How cool there just it, wasn't a lot of answers. To bring that it was great. to them. It was great because comedy oh. and for patients to laugh and forget all their fear and you know, people facing their own mortality, um, which all of us know that it's inevitable, but it's just different when you're really facing it, when yeah. you have a diagnosis. Um you could see I would bring in videotapes of certain movies that I love and I'd watch the people disappear into them. And so I would bring the whole cast to the to the hospital and we would do shows right in the hallway. I mean, it was great. We'd do musical numbers or whatever. And um, so Rudy one time said to me, when are you going to go to Hollywood and chase that dream you're always talking about? And I said, oh, you know, I'm not going to do that. I would fail and be humiliated and embarrassed and have to come crawling back begging for my job. And uh, it's another one of those moments where he just said, well, how long do you think I've got? And I said, you know, and I always said my line, I believe in miracles because I believe in that. And he says, oh, I, I probably have a few weeks. He goes, but the biggest regret in my life, I'll tell you my biggest regret is that I feared failure. And I said, wow, that's powerful. something, you know, and he's, 
And he says, well, let's make a deal. He says, take my hand and look me in the eye. He took his hand and looked him in the eye. He said, when I'm gone, promise me you'll go to California and you'll fail many times. And I said, okay, you have a deal. So, yeah. So I followed through on it after Rudy went to heaven. Um, I came out to L.A. and I failed many times. <laughs> what was that like? You, you, was it, and obviously motivated by Rudy, but what was it like to come and fail many times? Um, well, that's life. We all fail many times. And um, to think that you're going to avoid it is, is hilarious. Uh, but I did, I came out here, but I was really fortunate because Second City opened a theater in Santa Monica. I was able to come out and being a show doing that for a little while. My friends were out here like Richard Kind and George Clooney and everybody was just starting out. Yeah, and just being able to draw on those life experiences, going back to what your dad said, right? Interestingly, mm -hmm. I mean, he was smart enough to know. He and, was. And wow, I mean, there are people that never live in the real world who are then unable to tap into that. You've been able to tap into those, right? It's almost like- Well, my dad would say that. He would say like the greatest stories you tell are never about when times were good. Yes. People that always was a great quote. reminisce I, yeah. about the struggles of life. And that's what he would do on the front porch in our neighborhood. He would start telling a story about, oh, we had, you know, we had, the car was broken down. It had two wheels and we had no gas. It's left. that Monty Python sketch, right? Yeah, didn't luxury. Your, didn't yeah. your mom also have a quote, something about <laughs> yes. eating rocks and walking 80 yeah. miles? What was that? So some- yeah, she would do the exaggerated version of the, we used to walk to school. So yeah, She that would always thing. build on it as Ooh, a joke. when I were young, it was tough. We mm -hmm. used to lick road, clean, walk, you know that one? <laughs> Wake up nine hours before yes, we went yes. to sleep. That whole thing. Luxury. Absolute luxury. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. So it seemed that you being a big fan of Saturday Night mm -hmm. Live, that that would be the perfect place for you. You've got this second city training. I wanted it so bad. You wanted it so bad. And then you had an opportunity to have it, but then there was something that stopped you. What was that? It was a big decision to, yeah. to say no to Saturday Night Live. I mean, who says no? Because, wow. You know? At the time when I was offered it, women didn't really do as well on the show. I mean, Gilda Radner never even got a writing credit. So it, it was just a boys club. Is that what it was all I, about? I, I don't know, but something about it. And Lauren Michaels was always very nice to me and respectful. And I think he offered me the show two or three times. But we'd go out to dinner and I'd say, you know, if a scene's not going well, can we improvise? Like if the ending's not working or you're not getting the laughs? He said, no, no, if you improvise, no, that's you, you can't do that. And that to you was coming from the where you'd come from, that seemed like the kiss of death, right? At the time, it just didn't. I felt like I had the best version of that job that I worked at Second City. I did eight shows a week for almost four years. I never missed a performance. And I was thinking on my feet and doing that every single day. And I just thought... I'm an actor now and I'm here doing this. Maybe it's not a good idea to go do something like that where I didn't think women were very much nurtured. And they weren't at the, in that time of Saturday Night Live. But I didn't know that I would go on to be the first person, let alone woman, to write and star in a television series and creatively do it all themselves. I didn't know that had never been done. Right. But I did it. And, and I fought a lot of battles to make that happen. And I'm glad I did because now that's kind of the norm, especially yeah. for young women. Yeah, I, I was going to talk about with the, when Barry Levinson called you, 1988, somewhere around there. No, no. He didn't call me directly. I went on a cattle call for the part of in a movie. I didn't know who was in the movie. And I left the hospital on my lunch hour, ran and Explain a cattle call to people who don't know what a cattle, a cattle call is. A cattle call is they put out a general thing. Um, at that time, it would be like a flyer or a newspaper thing or announcement saying they're looking for people to play these ancillary roles and roles in this 
uh, movie that will be shooting nearby. And every man and his dog, a lot of times- Everybody's turn, there. Yeah. Oh God, it's a zoo. And, and and then the weird thing is you walk in the room and then you see a bunch of people that look like you and you go- Right. Am I, are we related somehow? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, what are all these supermodels doing here? We all look alike. Yeah, yeah we all look alike. And we're all so young. <laughs> You're all so young and beautiful. No, but I went and and, and I don't I didn't have an agent at the time. I could never get an agent. It was always so hard. You know, you can't get an agent unless you have something Catch on tape. 22. And you can't yep. get a, a tape, anything on tape unless you have an agent. So I go in and there's this long line of people and they're auditioning. There, there's different roles. And I say, oh, part of a waitress. Oh, yeah, I could do that. And um, I thought they probably have something on their head. And I had some Kleenex in my purse. So I bobby pinned a Kleenex to the top of my head like it was a doily, thinking that would make me look more like the part. There's that improv skill. Right. Yeah. right. And um, so, yeah, I auditioned for that little part of the waitress who dropped the toothpicks. And I didn't know who, the who was in the movie or anything. And I got that part. And can you imagine the only other people in the scene are Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise? And I've never been on camera. I have absolutely zero experience. I go to Cleveland to shoot this scene and it's it's crazy. Or Why Cincinnati. Not? Cincinnati. Yeah, Cincinnati. Wow. Yes. That's 1988. Yes. And Barry Levinson said, are you going to hit your mark? And I thought, what's a mark? What's a mark? Why does he keep saying to hit your mark? And I thought he meant on your mark, it said go, <laughs> like run in. So in his action, I ran in. He goes, cut, cut. Why cut, are cut. you running? I said, <laughs> you know, hitting the mark. And he's like, yeah, you'll hit it. Don't worry. Yeah. And I'm like, what is a mark? And finally, some crew guy with a smoke off on the corner goes, do you know what a mark is? I go, no. And he goes, that's that piece of tape. And I go, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, man. But it was so great. And then I brought the pictures back. My patients all had pictures of me and Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise on their little bedside tables. And oh. it was exciting. I thought, that's enough. I got a little tape for the nursing home for me someday. And that'll, that'll be all I do. You end up meeting your hero. I couldn't believe this the other day, Bonnie. I'm, some kids had not heard who Johnny Carson was. And I just thought, this is, we have to... Make sure that the younger generation <laughs> goes and looks at the tapes of Johnny Carson. But you meet Johnny Carson, and am I right? You get on the, you 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 meet him, and then you can't quite believe that it's really Johnny Carson, and you reached out to touch him. I touched him, and I got startled because he was really there. He was really Johnny and Carson. I think that's on the interview where I touch him, and I go, <gasps> and he goes, "What's wrong?" I, but I didn't want to say. I thought you were a hologram. <laughs> And I thought I was dreaming because I can't believe I'm sitting here, but that's what I was feeling. Honestly, that's what I felt. Do you know, Phil, when I was a little girl, like 11 or 12 years old, we used to have this little reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder or cassette tape thing. And I taped The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, just the audio. And then I went through and painstakingly edited the person out. I think it was like Joey Bishop or something was the guest. I took him out and put my voice and in. And you were the guest. For my dad's Father's Day gift. That's what I gave him. So Johnny's like, listen, Joey. I go, quit calling me Joey. My name's Bonnie. I mean, this was like the bad humor. But my dad was my dad would listen to it over and over again. He'd play it for his friends. He goes, this is so good. And I thought, oh, wow. So now cut oh. to my father's gone. I've oh become God, a nurse. A I'm now an actress. Oh. And I'm sitting there looking at Johnny Carson. And I'm thinking, what? It was your dad. It must just, have been your dad set that whole thing up. I don't know. It's yeah. just, it's, it's, you know, it's. It's awesome. And you I haven't realized how many stories you've told about but every, foreshadowing. Like, well, it's. But everybody has those. If we look back at our lives, well, good yeah, or but bad. You've had a good lot, or bad. Bonnie. You've had a lot. Um, I think we all have. It just takes knowing them. But I'm a storyteller, too. Yes. So I have to access the stories that I know. Yeah. Because those, don't, those are the only ones I have, are, are what I've experienced firsthand. And that's how I write. That's how I write. You know, you yeah. write so people. From can, the soul, from so the, you can feel from, it. From your heart. Because yeah. that's what I love when I see something.
So from mm-hmm. Johnny Carson, that's how then you end up meeting David Letterman. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that was obviously a great connection for you. And then if I'm not mistaken, his first production was with you, right? Like, But I, just so you know, for the record, yes. I wrote the show. I, I wrote the entire season longhand <laughs> and some on a, la- a computer at the time, not a laptop. And um, I sold the show. I shot the pilot. Everything was done when Dave got involved. I already had my deal. For the record, you did something that nobody else had ever done right, before, right. which was to write and star in their own show. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Yes. And so that's what was groundbreaking. But then because of the way the business worked, they said to you, you have to go get, listen, you've got to have somebody, a name attached essentially. Yes. Right? In fact, the executive said to me, I can't have a girl just running a show like this. Funny. And, you know. Yeah, I've got a 23-year-old daughter. And one of the things I'm most excited about, because I've been in the business now 30 years, is this that she's coming into the business at a very different time from when we came in, where there was a different standard, where there were certain things happening that shouldn't have been happening. So I'm excited for her because I feel she has an equal opportunity in a way that a lot of women did not have three decades ago. Right. And so you must have seen such a change. Right? I there mean, was, there, there, there has been a change, but still it's just, you know, sometimes a woman has to say something two or three times to be heard. And that's, that's the way it is in medicine as well. I used to see female patients come in and with a complaint and they'd have to kind of say it a few times to really be heard. I mean, this is just the way it is, but I never conscientiously thought, oh, I'm up against the men or right. I just didn't think that way. I just thought, just go and you do your job. It. Yes, I just dealt with it. But when I look back, yeah, I, I see now how hard it was. It was hard. I mean, when I got Dave, when I'm, after Dave watched the pilot of the show and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll put my name on this, you know? Of course um, he would, yeah. Yeah, he he loved the show. He was a fan. and and You did more than one production with him? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then I did the second series called where I played a news reporter and all of those news reports I did were live on the street, unscripted and totally improvised within this scripted element of a show. So that was groundbreaking. How um, often have you worked with, in in the film industry, with people who have really embraced the idea of you going off script and just being being able to use those improv skills, you know, how often has that happened? It happens quite often. I mean, once because of course I always respect the script and the written word because I'm a writer. Yes. So I always do everything as scripted, and then I say, "Do you want one where I do this or that?" And they'll say, "Yeah, we'll give you a couple takes." And nine times out of ten, that's what they end up using. I mean, I did the movie Dave. Um, where I was yeah. a tour guide and I auditioned for the president's wife. I auditioned for the Sigourney Weaver role and it was down, it was Sigourney Weaver, me and um, I, I can't remember the other actress's name, but they were established women. And I mean, the, the director, Ivan Reitman said, I brought you in because I wanted the studio to see you, but they're never going to give you the part because you're not, you don't really have a name yet. And I said, oh, that's okay. I'm just glad I had the opportunity to audition. And, and then he called me halfway through and said, can you come in and do something? We need a laugh at this point in the movie. What setting you in? We're in the White House setting. You were great um, in that scene. I remember that scene so well. Just, it's just so funny because here yeah. I'm like this day player, but I went and memorized the first paragraph of a a book about the White House. Yeah. So I thought that'll be my start. I'll start with this. How many people toured the White goes. House? And then I did the we're walking, we're walking. And I remember like the third take, we're I even walking. said, is this funny? I said, yes, it's <laughs> funny. Trust me. He's like, okay. And, yeah. and that 13 seconds on film like changed my career. But that's the thing I love about you is like, you just, it doesn't matter how, and you said it before, but it just that doesn't matter how small it is, that impact. I mean, it's such a good lesson 
to anybody rather than focusing on what's wrong with and what that was got. billy wilder's philosophy yes i mean billy wilder You've spoken about that yes and i adored and worshiped so many of his film all of his films and but he said even the smallest role should go to the best actor available and it has to have a heart and soul and dimension and his doorman in his movies that had two lines you remember those character actors yeah you just yeah. remember all the little nuances so they're just... all part of making it authentic so yeah. i never thought of how big the role was i always thought about the role and, and you always said it was always about what could you do to contribute to the bigger story the story like, you know how could you impact the story and jerry Maguire, i was originally oh, going to be dorothy God. i was going to be the lead in that were you really? Yes. Um, you owned that part. I, I mean, you. But just... it changed, you know. They're like, no, we're going with Tom. Tom. I think originally Jerry Maguire was Tom Hanks, then Robin Williams. There's a couple of people that were Jerry Maguire before Tom Cruise was. Is that right? Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. owned that part. I mean, you were so real in that, and that whole scene with them leaving and in the kitchen. And it, oh, I, thanks. Yeah, I mean, you really crushed it. It was well, like, Cameron was really great to me. He let me improvise and added. So there me was a up. lot of improv in that. Yeah. Well, he kept adding me to different scenes as the movie as we were progressing and filming. He and, must have been like, "Wow, I've, you know, I got this amazing, I've got this amazing tool, so to speak, to to be able to use, to be able to do something here." Everybody was so good in that, and he he was very nice to me. I mean, because I thought I was under this impression when we started that I might be playing that lead role. Yeah. And then when the story changed and the casting changed, and now I'm going to be playing the sister, um, I just said to him, "It's." Okay okay, I still love the story, so I want to be a part of it. Your ability to just roll with whatever is going to happen, you think that's come from, again, from your upbringing, just like like what your dad said, just get on with it and just deal with it? Well, like, I'm, you know, I'm number people... six out of seven. I was born into a team, so I really never yeah. did anything that Where are didn't you on have... the, in the in the... Number six. You were number six. Yes, as my dad called me that for Did years. he actually call you six? Yeah, he'd say number six. Well, Bonnie takes a long time to say when you it's... got seven children. Well, he'd always say that the line he'd see is he goes, do you belong to us? Yeah, get in the house. I mean, because there were so many kids in the neighborhood. Some of the families had 12 and 14 children. I love working with my family and projects, and yeah. you have too. And your film that you did with uh, Minnie Driver and David Duchovny, right? Return to Me, yeah. Uh, Return to Me, which is a piece of Chicago, which you love Chicago. I think maybe next to Bill Murray, you and Bill Murray. Me and maybe Bill, the, and, yeah. and when the Cubs won and you uh, went, Bill and I, I were was, there, game seven. I was seven. worried about you during the whole Cubs win because I <laughs> thought you might have gone off the rails. But um, there was so much heart in that film. And and you had you put your brother in the film, right? And The and whole family, the I whole, think. Pretty yeah. much the whole family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, was this a budgetary thing, Bonnie? Or <laughs> Say, No, I had to pay like a... a a cost fee to the union. Oh, you did? Because most of them were non-union, oh. you know, so I had a, but I said, I, no, I would never normally go against that, but I, for family. Well, I was kind of joking. Union but, or family. But Chicago, I love how you put struggle. all your, your family in there. You've got a brother who's a doctor who yes, works in, played the doctor. in, in Africa. Is right. He, Uganda. Manyourgiving.org. So there's another one who's giving back, right? Yes, um, yes. Tell us about your brothers and sisters and the things that they do, because I know you're so proud of them all. Oh, I love them all. I mean, they're, they're, um, they're all in Chicago, but they all, and Kevin, you know, spends half his time in Africa. Not, I wouldn't say half, but some time of the year um, working in Uganda, bringing medical aid to people that don't, have never seen a doctor. So he's just an angel. Um, but all my brothers and sisters are, are those kind of people. Mm. Um, you know, we're normal sense of humor. We have our riffs. We have the struggles that any family have and um, disagreements or whatever, but there's a part of us, I think, maybe because of my dad dying young and all of us being forced to stick together so that we could keep my mom's house and um, make ends meet. 
that still is there today. And everybody's got different jobs. My brother Pat is in corporate real estate. He's a brilliant business guy. And uh, he's just really became like a father for all of us because he's the oldest. And mm. he's been there through thick and thin with me. And, you know, it's just, I always look at him now and I think, what would we have done without Pat? And he was only like 25 when my dad passed away. And he had all these siblings. Mm. I mean, it's just it's so crazy. Um, and my brother Kevin's the doctor. My brother Tommy is an electrician, just like my dad. He has his own company who had the had the the account at Wrigley Field, which is one of the biggest accomplishments ever in our family. My sister Kathy's a business writer, brilliant. She produced all the segments that my mom did on the TV show, on my talk show. Uh, my sister Carol's this a, is a what, writer. This is why you've got to come back again. Yeah, and do oh, well, your we'll show see. Just oh, mom. That. Yeah, right. Yeah, mom will do it. Your She'll mom. push me oh, right out God. of the way to take my job. I I, I think she would. No, she was. I'm how about she comes you. on the show? She goes, I don't know if I want to go out there. I go, well, mom, just come on. I'll walk out with you. I mean, literally the music started and the show started. I, She barely remembered I was even there. She walked right out, went to my desk and took over the show. It was unbelievable. And I didn't finish the siblings because I should. Yes, Kat, please do. Carol is a, a children's book author and Mary's a school teacher. Tommy's an electrician, Kevin, doctor, Pat, real estate. Okay. Kathy. You got them all. Yes. You had to have a Pat in there. Always, yeah. You always got to have a Pat. Um, I love this um, quote from your dad. It's, he said, it's the character with strength that God gives the most challenges to. Yes, I, wrote, I would use that in return to me. Carol O'Connor says it to Minnie Driver. Oh, it's consider it a compliment. And you got to work with Carol O'Connor. Yes. That I grew up, my dad watching All in the Family and you know, getting such a kick out of this character that Carol O'Connor played. And... I sent him a script and he said, he called me up. He said, I'm old, I'm tired, I'm sad because his son had died. And he said, I really am not motivated to work. I have money, you know? And I said, well, you just reading it would be enough for me. That would, I mean, just thank you so much for even calling me and responding. And then like a week later, he called me back and he said, maybe we should have dinner. I read your script. Wow. I know. And, and I wrote it just with him in mind, you know? And Don Lake and I were writing, it was like, I just gave him so many things my dad said, like honoring my father through the dialogue. With those quotes. And for me to write a character in a movie and have him give it instant credibility because of who he was and his legacy, uh, what an honor and what a thrill. Tell us about your your first film and what inspired you to do that. Because to take on the role of, of doing a film, I mean, people, it's one thing to act in a film. It's one thing to shoot a film. It's one thing to have a small part in a film, but when you are in charge of putting a whole film together, the cast, like you said, reaching out to the people that you want, the writing and that work, I mean. I loved it. Yeah. I love, I, I mean, I got to be a storyteller all the way from the very first word on the page. I was sitting there writing yeah. all the way up to the very last moment of editing and then being with an audience and seeing them react to it, the ultimate experience, the best. and. I mean, when I did it, it, there was really no female directors. It was very, I mean, maybe Penny Marshall, just a few. And um, I would love to do it again. I would love to do it again. Because it was so fun to give an audience what I would want as an audience. That's just a, a movie that you want to crawl into and go live with those people. Another movie, maybe. I mean, this is your opportunity to just reach out down the barrel there and just talk to an investor. <laughs> I mean, what, I can sell you. I, I can sell you. I with, I have the movies. With I'm always skills. writing. You really? know, I took time off. I went home. My brother-in-law was sick, you know, so I moved in with my sister and 
and the kids and, and her husband to be his caregiver. And um, I was writing that whole time. You know, I kind of dropped out for a while. I was completely yeah. gone. And what a luxury that I was able to do that. So many people have somebody sick in their family and they can't, they have to work, they have to. Um, so I appreciate what a luxury it was to be able to be there for them. And what a special thing to do for somebody. But um, what have you written about? What are what are some films that we might see from you? I wrote about it. And a, can I be a, your a, brother in the film? Yes. <laughs> Phil, I would put you in anything in a New York minute. Yes. I think I'd, I think you and I would be have a good brother-sister relationship. Yes. Good. Unless you wanted me to be I mean, your you'd lover. be my much, oh, my, my lover. Yeah, Louise, I, Louise I'm just saying. A, she's I, in a jealous rage. Okay. She's in a jealous rage. How come women aren't threatened by me? I, Please be jealous. No. Do some, thank you. Good. Okay. I need, I mean, I've worked with all these men, all the men in the business. Yes. Nobody's ever been jealous. No well, wife's ever said, you know, maybe I should be on the set. Oh, you're working with Bonnie? Oh, okay, I'll see you in three months when you get back. <laughs> you're on location with Bonnie, you're safe. <laughs> so what 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 are some of the things you've written about? More family-based type Always, stories? Always, yes. Anything related. I wrote a, a, a film uh, called uh, Black Book Mogul, which is about uh, three guys from New York who get a hold of someone really famous' cell phone and kind of, changes their life Ooh. by using the contacts that are in, within the phone. Ooh. And and then the other film is about a couple that gets divorced and the man hides it from his family that they're divorced. So he has to um, beg his estranged wife to come home for an anniversary party of his parents because his mother is sick. So he says, I can't tell her, so you have to come home and pretend we're still married. Uh, and I and think I know how that works out. Well, I, I got a lot of my own divorce out of my system. Yeah. writing it. Do you think it's easier now to make a movie than when you made your first movie? I, it's always easy for me because listen, before I went into cancer nursing, yeah. I was an I was a emergency room nurse. Yeah. So when I first went to MGM and they were, I was interviewing for these jobs as directors, they're like, "Who does this girl think she is? She can't direct." I was like, "Listen, I ran an emergency room. You don't think I can deal with I've everything got to that's going quickly. on? Quickly, who's going to live? And, and How are we going to do it? You can think on your feet. You yes. can make things happen. Yes. Yeah. So you know, putting a movie together is so fun and I have a need for the speed. I love the process. I always come in ahead of schedule, under budget. I've done that in every production I've done. And it, because I, there's no fear, you know, when there's talent yeah. and storytelling and you have all these, you're surrounded by all this talent, there's no fear. You just get it done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know you're a get it done kind of person. And I, the hell I is that to, supposed to mean? Well, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. Every family party we have is always great until that phrase comes out. Really? What's that supposed to mean? It's like, What's oh, that supposed oh to mean? it just yeah. took an ugly turn. <laughs> I wanted to read a couple of your uh, quotes. Oh, let's I see if they're authentic. I, I love them. Okay. Um, if I've learned one thing in life, it's stand for something or you'll fall for anything. That was part of the teen creed. My mom had us memorize this teen creed by our 13th birthday. Yeah. Don't let your parents down. They brought you up. Be humble enough to obey. You may give order, order someday. Choose companions with care. You become who they are. Choose only a date who would make a good mate. Be master of your habits or they will master you. Don't be a show off when you drive. Drive with safety and arrive. Stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Don't let the crowd pressure you. And we had it. We had it before you wow. blew out the candles on that thirteenth birthday. Whoa! Yeah, I, had, I think those were her little things. I love that. Mm -hmm. And you remembered them all. Of course, yeah. And I it, apply them every day, even in business. Well, not every day. I have my days where I'm. Funny, you know, I human. I end the conversation only with a couple of questions, okay. and one is: if you were going to take a road trip and you could take anybody in the car with you, three people, um, from any time in history, living or or we're dead. Who would you take with you in the car? It's, it can be a big car. It can be a car of your choice. 
It could be a limousine. Oh, oh gosh. Who would you take with you? Well, I would love to have time to think about it, but off the top of my head, I think Norman Cousins, who wrote a book about humor and healing. Um, my mom. Hmm. Um, somebody from the Rat Pack. Dean Frank or Sammy. Probably Dean Martin, because he had the best sense of humor and we'd have great music, because he would sing and serenade us. Um, Who'd be driving? Who'd be driving? I guess Jackie Gleason, because he drove that bus for all those years on the honeymooners. Um, I would, I would probably be surrounded by storytellers and music, musicians. Music, I, I love music. I feel like it's so healing, and yeah. um, I wake up to music every day. I have a, I have a playlist that wakes me up, and it, and I leave it on for it's like ten songs, and I change it frequently. It's not that Sunny and Cher song from. Groundhog Day is no. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Boy, that's that's a great reference. I almost did that movie too, and they turned me down for it. Are you serious? Yeah. I love that I was movie. so excited. I thought, oh my God, I'm going to work with Bill Murray. Yeah. I've known Bill forever, and I love him. And it's one of my favorite movies ever. I oh. can see, I so see you in that film. I know. Harold Ramis, like the day before the table, he's like, I think we're going to go with Andy McDowell. And I was like, what? Yeah, that was a heartbreaker. And then, Bonnie, your last day on earth, if you had to... If you just had one day left on earth, what would you do with it? I would listen to music, I would plant a garden, and I would try to write as many things that made me mad at myself that I think you should forgive yourself for so that the next generation could be free of some of that heartache. Mm. Beautiful. Bonnie, you're amazing, and I'm so glad you came and had a chat, with, chat with me, and it's so nice to see you again. And, and I you. really hope you do your show We'll see. And your movie. We'll see. Yeah. What the else do you want to do? Because we, we'll make it happen right here. Can we call your mom? Yeah, call. Where's your, where's your phone? Well, we can use anyone's phone unless you don't oh, want to pay no, for no. the long distance. No, Bill is so cheap. Good looking, funny, talented, giver. But I didn't ask mean him for it like a dollar. that. I, I didn't. Two days later, he's like, can I get the dollar plus interest? <laughs> Loaned it to you, Bonnie. You didn't pay me back. All right, let's call mom. Let's call Alice. Mom? I'm, Phil is here with me. I'm I'm at Phil's house. Oh, hi, Phil. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, we were talking about you, and uh, we're having a little chat here, and so we, I just wanted to say hello, and um, I'm, I'm going to come back to Chicago at some point, so maybe I could say hello to you again. Oh, that would be wonderful. I just loved that, that time that we had together. That, remember that windy, rainy kind of a day that you came by with the with the bus. Oh, I, 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 yeah, it was, it was exactly, uh, it's almost 10 years ago. Would you believe that? And, um, and we did the llama dance together. Oh, that's right. I think now I remember that. Yes. Yeah. You were yes, trying to I steal remember. the limelight from me, just like you did with your daughter. And <laughs> I'm still getting over it, but <laughs> oh, I, it was hard gosh. to cut you out, but. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. You are an angel. Uh, I just love you, Phil. Uh, and I just want you to know that you're a sweetheart. Well, look, I, I'm sure your seven children have thanked you, but uh, on behalf of all New Zealanders, I would like to thank you for doing a great job with the seven children you had and raising them to becoming uh, great human beings. I'm sitting oh, sitting with one of them there, here. Listen, thank you, thank you so much for picking up the phone um, and and saying hello. And and uh, if I get to Chicago, I'll, I'll be reaching out to Bonnie. And if you're around, I'd love to say hi. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Hope you. 
see you soon, okay? God right. love you and God bless your whole family and especially you, okay? Yep, bless you too. Bonnie, I love you, Bonnie. Okay, Mama, love you too. Okay. Thank you so much for calling me, okay? okay. All right. God love you. Bye-bye. All right, love, love you too. You, okay, Mama, okay. I love how you have a green heart next to your mother's number. Yes. You can watch this podcast online at philcogan.com. And let me know what's on your bucket list. You never know. You might be my next guest. Don't forget, ticket before you kick it.